minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Welcome back to another Friday edition of the show, Andrew. It's great to be here, Kyle. People say this time of of the year is slow for NFL news, and yeah, that's probably true. But I say (laughs) nonsense, right? We have all of this time to take what we've learned and review it, and then look forward and preview it. So, like, we're ready to go. We absolutely are, and this is just peak over-analyzation of all things. So today we are looking back, we are looking forward, and we're getting excited about what the past can tell us about the future a little bit. And so today we want to take a little bit of time to talk about the crazy case of Kyler Fackrell. That's what I'm calling this today. Uh, We're not actually going to talk about Fackrell himself very much, (laughs) which doesn't make sense. Uh, But we want to talk about players who can do what Fackrell did during the 2018 season. Fackrell was almost universally seen as a player who might not have been worthy of a 53-man roster spot heading into 2018. (laughs) He had done very little to prove that he was worthy of a 53-man roster spot heading into 2018. And then out of nowhere, he became a player who made an impact on defense and had some really nice statistical production to go with it as well. And so today our focus is going to be on who is the 2019 version of Kyler Fackrell. Who are the players who have been on the roster for a few years that fans generally assume are bad or at least subpar who could really surprise and turn in a really big year in 2019? But Andrew, before we jump too far into this, I wanted to talk about someone who probably qualifies as a player who has underperformed at this point in his career. And he might be a candidate that we would talk about here on the show. But he might not actually want to be a Green Bay Packer anymore. And, of course, I'm talking about Josh Jones. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this Josh Jones situation that we find ourselves in? Yeah, my my thoughts are really simple about Josh Jones. He's way too talented to give up on unless you're getting something beneficial in return. And he also hasn't shown enough to be traded for anything more than a late-round pick or maybe another cast-off draft pick. And so... My opinion is you don't trade him now, no matter what he wants. If he's bad or a locker room problem throughout the preseason, then you either dump him for a late-round pick or you cut him. But with how thin this team is at off-ball linebacker, you have to give him an opportunity to play there. It also brings up an interesting point for me and something I've been reflecting on recently. If we think that we need to get out of the habit, or, or I think we need to get out of the habit of attaching the round players are drafted in with their name for their whole career. So, of course, good teams need to hit on second-round picks more often than not. But keeping players around because of their draft stock doesn't do anybody any favors. Brian Brom was a second-round pick. Matt Flynn was a seventh. But if the Packers got their backup quarterback with a a second and a seventh 
does it really matter who is picked where? I sort of feel like the Packers held on to Brett Hundley for too long because he was a draft pick when they could have had somebody like maybe Taysom Hill as their backup quarterback that would have been more beneficial. But you always have this sort of draft pick assignment with players' names, and and I think we need to do a better job of disconnecting those two things. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see how Brian Gutekinds goes about this because now he's obviously dealing with draft classes that he didn't necessarily make the decisions on. He wasn't the guy who pulled the trigger on some of these names. And so we don't know what his involvement was with the Josh Jones pick, what his opinion was on it. So uh, maybe a little bit less of a love affair between, you know, where the pick was made and how much a GM is willing to stick their neck out and keep holding on hope for someone who hasn't produced. But I wasn't a big fan of the Josh Jones picks pick at the time uh, when it happened. It wasn't anything against Jones. I just think that the big thumper safety is kind of a dying breed in the league. It's the same reason why I wasn't too big on Jonathan Abram this year. Uh, I just feel like you are in a coverage league. You need to be able to cover fast wide receivers in space. And uh, that said, I really have liked the limited flashes that we've seen from Jones. I really wanted to see him use near used near the line of scrimmage as that true dime backer. Uh, That said, I totally get why Jones is frustrated. Like Andrew said, what round you're selected in shouldn't mean much. But to Jones, I'm sure he feels like as a former second rounder, he should get his shot. But he obviously hasn't done enough to inspire the coaches or to earn their trust. Kentrell Bryce started over him. (laughs) (laughs) Jermaine Whitehead took snaps from him, And then the Packers went out and spent money in free agency on Adrian Amos, and they spent a first-round pick on Darnell Savage. So the Packers clearly didn't think that they had any starting safeties on this roster before the offseason began. And so I get why Jones is frustrated. He wants his shot. But it is also up to him to prove that he has earned his time on the field. And so I'm sure he's struggling with the fact that he's probably safety three. Maybe he's actually safety four. Uh, He's probably linebacker three behind Oren Burks and would probably only play in certain packages. But in my opinion, he needs to take that challenge head on and earn his spot. And I said on Twitter earlier this week that you can't tell me that Kyler Fackrell doesn't have a more legitimate case to be frustrated than Josh Jones. I guess I lied. We are going to talk about Kyler Fackrell on this podcast. (laughs) You hate that. Um, All Fackrell did last year was work his tail off to become a productive edge rusher. And he had really good production and probably feels that he earned more snaps. What Green Bay did after that? is probably crazy to Fackrell. They signed two starters at edge, drafted an edge with their first pick. And I think Fackrell has a legitimate reason to be frustrated. But he's in Green Bay competing and being a good teammate. And so, to me, that's what Jones needs to be doing. But we'll obviously have to wait and see how that situation pans out and to see if he's able to force himself out of Green Bay. But I would personally love to see him have a change of heart and stay. I really think he could have an impactful third season. And From a selfish perspective, I own a signed number 27 Josh Jones jersey. So the value on that thing is currently plummeting these days. So I'd love to see him stay. Uh, But let's let's go ahead and get into some of these other guys. And in the words of Coach Matt LaFleur, let's focus on the guys who are here. Uh, Andrew, who's up first on your list of guys who might be flying under the radar? Maybe these are forgotten players that you think could have big years in 2019. 
Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of former day two picks, uh, I went with Montrevious Adams on the defensive line. He possesses a first step that could be an elite trait, but the league is rife with players who have one elite trait who just can't put it all together. Adams probably is in a make-or-break situation with Kingsley Kiki breathing down his neck, but if he can prove to be a quick penetrator in the passing game, he'd be an incredibly valuable commodity in the D-line rotation. And the Packers have uh, Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry coming out by contract here, so getting something out of Adams is going to be really important for the 2019 season. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was interesting that Adams was the guy who took snaps um, this week when Mike Daniels actually sat out in practice. So he was the next guy. I thought that was an interesting look. You obviously can't learn too much at this point in the offseason, but just, just an interesting look to see maybe where he is headed. Um, Jason Spriggs. I know. I'm going to get started on Jason Spriggs again here. Here we go. Uh, but he's been my guy for the last couple of seasons, mostly because he committed to putting on weight and getting stronger last season, which was the biggest thing that was limiting him, in my opinion. So I know that the ship has likely sailed on Jason Spriggs, and it would take several highly unfortunate injuries to put him in a position to start. But I still think that there is a chance, right, a chance that Jason Spriggs could finally meld his elite athleticism and his added strength and his body control and turn into a quality starter at tackle. So I know that that is a hot take and maybe I should just give up on Jason Spriggs, but I just think he's too talented of a player uh, to not find a way to put it all together. So I will just go ahead and see myself out right here. It's it's like a scalding hot take. Like you reach out and grab that scalding hot take with your bare hand last <laughs> off season and got burned by it. And then you just went ahead and reached for it again. Oh, I'm like the kid that their parent like lets them touch the stove (laughs) and they're like, that'll teach them. And then I just come back and I do it again. I'm an idiot. Right. Um, But anyways, moving on, what are uh, what about some guys who fans don't think are bad, but probably haven't proven that they will play a significant role um, and might actually make a little bit bigger impact than people expect next season? So Josh Jackson is a guy I want to talk about. I I don't think we've seen enough from Josh Jackson to really know what kind of NFL corner he's going to be. But he entered the league with those crazy highlight interceptions during his time at Iowa. And then he really flashed in the preseason. And it was just kind of a mixed bag at best after that. He had some trouble with not grabbing receivers at the top of their routes. And he collected some yellow flags along the way. But the last several games of the 2018 season were really promising for Jackson, I thought. The the Lions game was kind of an exception, but I'm excited to see how getting one more offseason under his belt and some additional pressure from Zedarius and Preston and uh, Rashawn Gary could really help him in his ability to trust his abilities and to learn to be a little less grabby and to take that second-year jump. So I'm hoping for a big year from Josh Jackson this year. Cool. I'm going to go with a different cornerback, um, and I've already said that I think Tony Brown is going to be the special team's ace on this team. If he stays healthy, I think his floor as an NFL player is a top 16 special teams player, like one of those upper half punt gunners, guys that can play all over the special teams. Um, But I'm starting to come around to Brown being an impact player on defense. And Andy Herman spent some time discussing this on Monday's show, but Brown has the size, the speed, the physicality to be a quality corner in the NFL. If he can prove, he has the instincts. And remember, he was the third corner in a loaded secondary at Alabama before last year. 
and he is really just still learning the position, he could be the fourth quarter on this team. Um, and with the health concerns about Kevin King and Jair Alexander, Brown could see important reps during this year. And I think he's going to prove to be more than a capable fill-in. I am really, really high on Tony Brown. I am really high on Oren Burks, and I'm really excited to see what he can do uh, this coming season. Blake Martinez recently did an interview with Michael Cohen, and Blake talked about how he's really excited to play with Burks this coming year. And he talked about how Oren even knows that he was just thinking too much on the field, and he just needed more time to settle in, to play fast. And Martinez also talked about how he's excited to have more consistency beside him. He noted that he had several guys playing next to him throughout the season last year, whether it was Morrison or Burks or Josh Jones. I think Corey Toomer even had some snaps in there, but whoever it was, Martinez said he's just really excited for Burks to settle in and really become the guy next to him in 2019. And so I'm really hopeful for the same, and I think that Burks can develop into an impactful player for this defense, especially considering his his athleticism and what the team obviously saw in him coming out of Vanderbilt. So you're going to have to mark this day on the calendar. Friday, May 24th, all right? Okay. I am going to talk about a guy that I have never talked about before. Okay. Kendall Donerson. Lies. Oh, (laughs) wait, wait. Do I talk about him constantly, nonstop, every time we have a show? Yes, I am going to talk about him. Uh, Yeah, if Donerson, all Donerson has to do is, like, really care about being an NFL player. Seriously. Because if he does that, He is going to make an impact on special teams. This guy has crazy, off-the-charts athleticism. He will hit you hard. He can be a really good special teams player. But I am absolutely convinced he could see the field on defense this year, even with all of the additions that you just talked about at pass rush, right? We have the Smiths. We have Rashawn Gary. We have Kyler Fackrell. Donerson is probably the fifth edge, but... If Mike Smith is as good as people say he is, he should be able to get something out of Donerson. I've tirelessly showed that Donerson's athletic profile is probably most comparable to Von Miller, and I think five to ten pass rushing plays could prove incredibly valuable for him. The backers have plenty of guys who are going to be able to bring the bull rush, right? We have all of these guys with quote-unquote heavy hands. Um, that are going to be thumping tackles constantly. And Donerson's elite speed off the edge could prove to be the perfect changeup to the Smiths and Rashawn Gary. So I, I'm just super high on this guy. I, I just hope he takes off. I regrettably made the mistake on last week's show of calling him number 91 because, of course, he switches his jersey number to 53. Ugh, that's not as cool. But still, Kendall Donerson, mark it down. I said earlier, Andy Herman is to Robert Tanyan as I am to Kendall Donerson. So when this guy becomes a star, remember who to credit. I will credit you, and I will credit you on 5-24-2019 for sure. I was actually just going to ask you uh, if you knew. I, I assumed, as his number one fan, that you would know what number he actually did switch to. Because I knew he wasn't 91 anymore. That's obviously Preston Smith. but uh, So it's 53. You'll be yeah. so... You'll be so mad if the Packers bring back Nick Perry on if they a cheap. Ro- if they switch his roster number again, I'm going to be mad. And 
by the way, I think at least at least two of Kendall Donerson's relatives follow me on Twitter. So <laughs> I'm doing something right in promoting him. They're like he believes in him. Uh, <laughs> all right, well we'll follow uh, we'll follow Andrew and we'll follow Kendall Donerson to see how this uh, this romance ends here uh, between the two of you guys. Let's let's hope he has a good 2019. Uh, Jamal Williams, real quick. I just want to mention Jamal because I know he's been a contributor in the past for this team, and a significant one, but I think Packer fandom loves Aaron Jones so much that they forget how good Jamal Williams actually is. And I feel like some people are jumping over Jamal Williams to even talk about sixth-round rookie Dexter Williams. And I'm excited for both Dexter and Aaron Jones. I'm an Aaron Jones dynasty owner so i hope he absolutely goes off this year but we know that matt lafleur loves to use multiple running backs and so i think we need to remember that jamal is a more than capable timeshare back and will likely make a big impact this year and his well-rounded skill set as a runner and as a pass blocker and a receiver out of the backfield make him a fun chess piece for this matt lafleur offense that likes to hide their intentions a little bit and so I think he's a guy the new coaching staff is going to love, and I think we'll continue to see him get plenty of touches. Speaking of you know, the new coaching staff, don't forget that Ben Sermons, the running back coach, was kept on the staff from 2018 under Coach McCarthy. So Jamal has earned his trust of this position coach in Sermons. So Dexter Williams isn't going to come in here and just take his snaps you know, from Jamal right away. He's going to have to earn that, that spot. So I do think that we continue to see Jamal Williams have a role on this team and in a big way Uh, but now let's let's talk a little bit about the bottom of the roster Uh, these are the fringe 53 man roster guys that could and they would have to they'd come out of absolutely nowhere to make a big impact so obviously if this were really easy to predict then it wouldn't be a surprise but let's jump right in here and I'm going to talk about Jamon Moore I don't think anyone has Jamon Moore ahead of ESB or MVS right now. Uh, And both of those guys are behind Devontae and Geronimo, in my opinion. So best case scenario, Moore is probably wide receiver five. But he was drafted ahead of both MVS and ESB. And he has elite short area quickness. So if he gets right and he figures out the drops that plugged him last season, Jamon Moore is a guy that I could see leapfrogging some of these other receivers, especially because he has a slightly different skill set. And I know I just dropped the round that they were drafted in card that Andrew has uh, refuted earlier in this podcast. But uh, I do think Jamon Moore will get some looks that uh, to get his career back on track this year. Well, and I think, you know, that that's sort of an exception to the rule, right? Like they were just drafted and they were drafted in order. And so that makes a difference. But also, you know, Jamon has some some specific skill sets that are going to set him apart and people often forget about him um i know he's getting a little bit more pushed late in this um offseason period but definitely a guy who is ultra talented who can take that big big step in the next season and he I w- he wears number 82 and that's just kind of an ugly number in my opinion so like i feel like that could like i don't know do you have an 82 that you like love uh don Beebe. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I if if I could slap you through my <laughs> microphone, I would. I can't believe that uh, right now. Don I'm so Beebe. Glad we... 
So we've we've talked about in the past. Both of us actually started out as Buffalo Bills fans, right? Yes, yes. Um, and the Bills had a dynasty when I was a kid. They just couldn't win the Super Bowl. Um, but but Don Beebe was my favorite player on the Buffalo Bills, and then he came to Green Bay when I started to like really like the Packers as go. a Wisconsin kid. And so like nobody holds as much esteem in Packers lore as Don Beebe to me. Well, I will I will admit that I forgot about Don Beebe wearing 82, and so that does that that changes my opinion of 82 but a little bit. But a lot was, of bad, a lot of bad 82s. Ruvel Martin. Yeah. Um, there was early Richard Rogers or late Richard Rogers. I don't remember which order he went from 82 to 89. Yeah, that's a good. I don't remember either. I think he ended with 82. Yeah, I think maybe Jared yeah. Cook number from yes but anyways yeah. anyway we're we gotta, off the rails <laughs> gotta, gotta stop having dorky jersey number conversations there on the go. show so i'm going to talk about somebody and and i'm you know part of me is stealing this from andy herman because i know he really really likes alex light but the assumption is that you know billy turner is viewed as the heir apparent at right tackle but what if Alex Light ends up snagging that title. And there's some concern that both of these guys are guards, um, but he has all the movement skills to be a starter in the NFL at tackle. He he definitely needed last year as a redshirt to gain functional strength, but he could potentially be the backup this year um, as that sort of swing tackle if Jason Springs, Spriggs doesn't prove something pretty quick. His development is one I'm really excited to see, and, and that's a guy, you know, you would think either Billy Turner is going to be a guy who plays right guard this year and then moves to right tackle. Maybe they retain Brian Balaga or Alex light could throw a monkey wrench in that whole thought process, become the heir apparent at right tackle and then save the Packers a bunch of either draft capital or, or cap space. So um, he's the guy I'm definitely going to keep my eye on. And that would absolutely be a luxury of a monkey wrench if you end up with another starter on the offensive line. That would be incredible for this team. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Trey Carson. And I know running back Trey Carson is a deep sleeper even on this list. Um, but he, he, you know, he has a deep history of injuries that have really derailed his career. He ended both 2017 and 2018 on injured reserve. But he was a fan favorite in Cincinnati to catch on and be a really good running back. They really liked some of the things that they saw from him there. So Trey Carson is my sleeper to push the Packers to keep four running backs if he can stay healthy and show out during the preseason. So we'll see if that happens. But I've, I've heard some really good things from uh, Cincinnati fans about Trey Carson. Um, nobody's going to be surprised by Cole Madison being on a list like this, but I think the you know conversation is relatively played out. But with the comments from Aaron Rodgers earlier this week, the assumption is, of course, that Billy or Bill, as he called him, <laughs> Turner, is the starting right guard. So can Cole Madison show the promise to be an option as the backup tackle? Maybe um, could he fight off Elton Jenkins as a backup guard? I I don't know, but he showed good movement skills and he showed a nastiness in college. And then again, in rookie mini caps last year. So if he can show those kind of qualities, the Packers could go from an incredibly thin offensive line unit to a really surprisingly deep one. Yeah, absolutely. You got to feel a lot better about where the Packers are entering this year with uh, their offensive line situation than they were uh, the last several years, actually. So uh, Raven Green is my next guy here. And the selection of Darnell Savage really put a dent in my Raven Green hype train. But we know that Mike Tetten, Petten 
likes to use three safeties fairly frequently. So my theory here is I believe that Green can show enough in training camp in the preseason to allow the Packers to play Savage in the slot at times and leave Green deep at safety sometimes. So I know Green is kind of buried on this depth chart behind the you know free agent acquisition of, of Amos, but I still think that he's an exciting player and we can really see some development from Green that will justify getting him on the field in some creative ways. And we heard Tim Boyle's interview uh, earlier this, this year, and he talked so much about how highly he thought of Raven Green. So I don't think he's just blowing smoke there and pulling a name out of a hat. I really do think Raven Green is someone who has flashed uh, maybe in places where even fans haven't seen. So he's my guy still uh, to keep an eye on, even though he is a little bit more buried in the safety depth chart than he was maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, and and having the luxury of having a guy that you can trust at the deep safety and then moving around a chess piece like Darnell Savage, that's, that's a really important factor. Um, I'm going to talk about another guy who could be used in, in that sort of way, and that's Natrell Jamerson. He was a fifth-round pick last year, but the Packers were able to acquire him towards the end of the 2018 season, and he is intriguing for several reasons. One, he's a crazy athlete, right? Like, super shocking that Brian Gutekunst would acquire another great Raz score <laughs> guy. Um, but Jamerson also has experience at both corner and at safety. He'll be in a fight for a roster spot, but his versatility is certainly going to help him out a lot. And if he can show that he can be a reliable special teams option, and there's a lot of different things on special teams that Jamerson can do, he's going to have a good shot of making one of those defensive back, uh, you know, roles. And while we like to think a fifth corner really doesn't matter that much, there are certainly a lot of occasions where those types of players take meaningful snaps and important points of the season and can sometimes make or break either what kind of playoff positioning you have or how deep in the playoffs you can make it. So there, there's certainly going to be mistakes when you draft, but when you can find players in the late rounds, either undrafted or waiver acquisitions who can contribute, you start to develop really, really deep rosters. And that's why we're talking about the players that we were today. Absolutely. And so make sure you guys find us on Twitter this week and tell us about your deep sleepers um, for 2019. Tell us about the guys that you think that we missed, uh, that you're really high on. We'd love to hear, you know, so we can dig into those guys even a little bit more deeply and talk about them in the coming weeks. So uh, find us on Twitter and we'd love to talk to you this week. Absolutely. And that is all the time we have for the Pack-A-Day podcast today. You can find Kyle on Twitter and give him that feedback at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike, Tyler, and Chris. And you can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We just celebrated 300 episodes, so the Packaday Podcast going strong. We're going to be approaching a year very soon. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap, Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end, and a dagger, they beat Morris Playboard, to the back line of the end zone, the Packers have won it, snap to Wild, oh yes, and taken by Jackson in the end zone, for a touchdown, Geronimo it was by Geronimo Allison, Josh Jackson, the rookie, 
recovers in the end zone and a Lambo lead to the north end zone stands. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Pepper looking hit as he throws it deep down the right sideline and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rodgers looking right. Throws the right side. See Brown makes the catch nice inside the bounds. Oh, he reached back to gather it in using all six five of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds inside the thirty of the twenty eight yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Yes. Mason yes. Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap. Ryan looks right. Close right down. Intercepted to the house. Bishop Breland. Touchdown. Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return, and it's 16-7, Packers. And Rodgers looks it over, takes the snap, blitz on, they pick it up, lost they got him, they got him.